Billy was just like any normal 10-year-old boy. He loved to do all the same things that every 10-year-old boy loves to do. He loved climbing trees, he loved riding bikes, and he loved playing ball with his friends. And just like any normal 10-year-old boy, Christmas was a very exciting time. I mean, every little kid boy or girl, doesn't matter. You look forward to Christmas. It's such an exciting time. And so when when the time finally came, he was so excited that it was Christmas Eve and their tradition was to go over to their grandma's and grandpa's house. And so he gets in the car and the excitement is building about seeing his cousins and what's under the tree for him this year. And he he finally gets to grandma's and grandpa's house and, and as all kids do, they run over to the tree to see if they can find the one present that has their name on it. And he's looking around and he doesn't find it. All the other kids have found theirs. And he's starting to get a little bit worried. But then he sees the biggest box of all of them over in the corner. And he runs over and sure enough, his name's on there. And he says, Grandpa, is this really my present? This big one? Grandpa says, yeah, Billy, that's, that's your present. That one's yours. And so they, they sit down and they eat their meal together and, and they finally move into the living room and it's time to begin opening presents and all the other kids have opened their presents and Billy's the last one. And Grandpa brings over the big box and he sets it in front of him. He says, all right, Billy, it's your turn. And before he could even finish saying the words, it's your turn, Billy's already ripping into the paper and he opens up the box and it's the absolute best Christmas present he could have ever dreamed of. What do you think is in the box? I'm asking. What's in the box? Best Christmas present he could ever think of. What's in there? What do you think? A bicycle. What else? A puppy. Oh man, you guys are good. What else? What could it be? Oh, yeah, definitely. Red Rider BB gun. We all have a different idea of what that best Christmas present might be. But when we come together this Christmas, we've been unwrapping some of the gifts that God has given us. And we know that the absolute best present that we have ever been given is his son, Jesus Christ. And we're coming and we're seeing that, that Christmas is not a time just to celebrate the birth of Christ, but what his life, death, and resurrection actually mean to us on a day-to-day basis. And so last week, we looked at one of those gifts. We looked at the gift of hope. And we unwrapped the gift of hope to see how God wants us to have everyday hope, even in hopeless situations. And this morning, we're going to be unwrapping the gift of love. There is a gift that God has given you, and it's under the tree. It's a big giant box with bows and beautiful wrapping paper, and it's there, and it's ready to be unwrapped. So this morning, if you will, open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4, and let's unwrap the gift of God's love together. Beginning in verse 9, 1 John chapter 4 says this, it says, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. The first thing that we see about God's love is that God's love is proven. God proves his love for us. Now, I don't know about you guys, but have you ever been in a relationship with someone that you just knew they loved you and they didn't even have to tell you? Maybe it was something like this. I love you. I know. 
That's like my absolute favorite line from Star Wars, where Leia says, I love you, and Han says, I know. (laughs) Have you ever had that kind of conversation? Just this last week, I was in the kitchen making some breakfast, and one of my sons walks in, and he's just waking up, and I said, son, do you know how much your daddy loves you? And he's like, yeah. I was like, oh, how do you know? And he's like, because you're making my breakfast, and you tell me all the time. He, he, he didn't have to hear it from me to know that he loves me, or, or that I love him. He's experienced it, and he's experienced through action. Love is much, much more than simply saying, I love you. How do you prove your love to someone? You can't simply just say, I love you. It takes action. And so God doesn't simply just say in his scripture, hey, I love you guys, I just want you to know that. No, he proves his love by sending his one and only son. And and as I read this first verse, I'm reminded of a verse that many of us probably know from childhood, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I don't know about you, but to me, that is the greatest demonstration of love that someone could give themselves to come and to prove their love through action. And we can be certain that God loves us when we see that he was willing to send his one and only son. So the first thing we see about God's love is that he took action to prove his love. God's love for us is proven by the fact that he sent his son. Let's keep looking at verse 10. Verse 10 says, love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And let's stop right there for now. Not that we loved God, but he loved us. Think about that. We didn't do anything to earn God's love. We don't do anything to pay God back for his love. He simply loves us first. When I think about this, I think of a love that is pure. God's love for us is pure. It has absolutely no ulterior motives. We don't have anything to offer him, and he doesn't expect anything back from us. We don't have to do anything to earn God's love for us. It's pure and unselfish. It has no ulterior ulterior motives. He has shown us his love is pure by the giving of his son. And I love the way Romans 5.8 says it. It says, but God demonstrates his love Love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Those verses make it absolutely clear to us that it wasn't because we had the right behavior, we had the right way of thinking, we had the right you know, way of talking that God sent his son to die for us. He sent Jesus in spite of the fact that We were sinners. We weren't living according to him. We didn't love him at first. Yet he still loves us enough to send his own son. I don't know, if you've got kids, you can probably relate to this, but I can remember before the kids were even born, I loved them and I was protective of them and I wanted the best for them. They didn't have to do anything. They had not done anything to earn my love. They hadn't, they hadn't, you know, called out daddy in the middle of the night. They hadn't said, I love you. They hadn't done anything. They were still in the womb, and I loved them. They didn't earn it. And that same love still exists for them today. I don't love them any more or less when they obey or disobey. 
I love them the exact same. There's nothing they could do that could make me love them any more than I already do. I think a lot of times we end up, we feel like, well, if I don't get my act together, if I can't behave the right way, if I can't learn to talk the right way, then there's no way that God can love me. And, and I've got to do all of these things first. I've got to get my life together first, and then I can put my trust in Jesus. And God says, no, that's not it. He says, I don't care where you are. I don't care what you have going on. I'm sending my son, Jesus Christ, to come to you. And I'll take you just the way you are. And then those of us that have put our trust in Christ, I don't know if you're anything like me, but I find myself in this trap all the time. If I could just be a better Christian, then God would love me more. If I could just get my words right, if I could get my thinking right, if I could have more time in the Word, if I could just behave the right way, then perhaps God would love me more. Has anybody besides me ever been in that position where you you know it's not right? but you just feel like, man, if I could just do better, then maybe God would love me more. When we look at Scripture, we see that God has already demonstrated His love, and there is nothing we can do to make Him love us any more or any less, and there's nothing we can do to earn His love. He's already proven it. He's already shown that He doesn't expect anything from us. He simply wants us to receive it by placing our trust in Jesus Christ alone. Let's keep going and look at the second half of this verse. Let's see verse 10 again. It says, Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. All right, so that's a big word that we probably don't use every single day, right? Maybe if you have one of those word of day calendars, it's probably like a theological word of the day calendar because propitiation is not a word that we use every day. And uh, if you do, then I'd love to find out how you use it every day. Um, see me in the back afterwards. But it's a, it's a theological term, and it, it's bringing up this idea of the Old Testament atonement where God says, hey, you guys ha- have sin in your life and, and you have to have an atonement for your sin, right? So you'd have to come and make a blood sacrifice. Um, and so it's this idea of a sacrificial atonement that's taking place. And, and I think the best way to say it is this. Um, it, it's our wrath bearer, right? That's a great way to think of it, wrath bearer. Does anybody ever remember the story of the whipping boy? I remember from when I was a little kid, I don't remember the whole story, but basically there was a prince who was kind of a spoiled brat, and everybody in the palace knew that he was a spoiled brat, and his parents felt bad because, hey, we're going to be spanking the future king for his disobedience. We can't spank the future king, so let's get another kid, and we'll spank this kid in place of the prince, right? And so there was someone else who was receiving the punishment for the prince, And that's kind of the idea is that prince was the wrath bearer. The parents were justified in disciplining their son, but they couldn't bring themselves to discipline their own son, so they put their wrath on somebody else. Does that make sense? Does that follow? So Jesus Christ is our wrath bearer. We read in Scripture in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us has fallen short of God's glory at one time or another. We've all messed up. We've all made mistakes. But God is so holy and so righteous that our sin is actually a sin against Him. And it deserves judgment. It deserves judgment. And it it requires a penalty. 
It requires a penalty. I heard a story about a, a grandfather who had gone over to his daughter's house to visit her family. And they, were, they had a, a two-year-old grandson. And while they were in the living room playing with the other kids, the grandson started throwing toys and uh, misbehaving. And the mom finally had it. She couldn't do anything to really correct his behavior. And so she took him and she puts him in his playpen. He's got one of those little playpens. And she, she sets him in there. And the little boy's sad, upset, and he sees Grandpa across the room, so he starts reaching over the edge. He's grabbing onto the edge, putting his arms up, saying, Papa, Papa, Papa. And the grandfather knows that he can't just go over and pick the boy up because he's done something that deserves, that requires that he face some discipline, that there's a punishment that comes along with his behavior. So the grandpa, as he sits there and he watches, his heart is breaking for his grandson, two-year-old grandson, who just wants his grandpapa to pick him up and rescue him out of the situation. But he knows he can't just take him out. So instead, the grandfather goes over and he climbs in to the playpen and he gets in there with his grandson. Jesus Christ has done the same thing for us. God could not just wipe away the punishment the penalty that comes along with our sin. And so he sends his son, Jesus, not just to enter into our world, but to actually take that punishment in our place through his death on the cross. I don't know about you, but to me, that is what I think we're really celebrating at Christmas. We're celebrating this reality that Jesus died in our place, that not only did he enter our world as a baby, grow up to be a man who lived a sinless life, but he actually took our punishment in our place. He was our wrath bearer. In his love, God sent his son, and we get to enjoy that love. And, and so what we see is that God's love is a providing love. It's a providing love. You see, God knew that there was nothing we could do to save ourselves, and so he provides a way for our sin to be forgiven, and for us to enter into relationship with him. God's love is, is proven, it's pure, and it's providing. And if you look back up at verse 9, I love that he provides not just for our eternal life, right? We, we put our trust in Christ, and we know at that moment we receive eternal life. But let's look at verse 9 again. It says, God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might, what does it say? That we might... Live through him. We might live through him. That's not just talking about eternal life. That's talking about our life in the here and now. John 10.10, Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and you may have it to the full. Some translations say that you may have it abundantly. God's desire is not just for us to look forward in hope to the eternal life, that he's provided through his son, Jesus Christ, but that we would take hold of a new life, a life that has purpose, a life that has meaning, a life that is full of the many blessings of God. When we we talk about blessings, we're not just talking about um, physical, material blessings that God has given us. We're talking about the things that, that we've been discussing the last two weeks, his love is the hope that he brings. Next week, we'll look at the joy and the peace that he brings to our lives. These are the blessings that he fills us with. And a lot of times, I don't know if you're anything like me, but uh, 
I often find it a little bit difficult to practically feel God's love in a tangible way. God is invisible. We worship an invisible God, and sometimes it's difficult to feel God's love in our everyday lives. But God has, has also provided not just um, propitiation, the wrath bearer for our sins. He hasn't just provided this new and wonderful, abundant life that he wants us to experience. But he's also provided us a practical way to experience his love. Let's look at verse 11. Dear friends, if we loved God in this way, we also must love one another. I'm sorry, dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. If God loved us in this way, we must also love one another. As I said, it's, it's often hard to really feel God's love in that tangible sense. And what I love about this is that God didn't want us to miss out on that, that tangible feeling of his love. And so he provided us with the church, the body of Christ, his people who can come around us and tangibly express the love of God to us. He uses other believers to come around us so that we can practically feel God's love. I think of it like this. Um, If you've ever been separated from your spouse on a business trip or perhaps you're on a mission trip and uh, maybe it's your, your parents that you're away at school and they're, they're at home and the, it, there's a great distance between you two. It's one thing to get on the phone and talk to them and, and say, I love you. But it isn't, isn't it much different when you get to come home and you, you wrap your arms around them and they wrap their arms around you and you just say, I love you. Isn't that a completely different experience? To look someone in the eyes and, and to hear them say, I love you. And I think God provides us the exact same thing. He provides us that tangible experience of his love through his people. And I think that comes in a number of ways. I think it comes in a number of ways. I think that can be just simply emotional support. That we would see someone in our community group, or we would see someone on a Sunday morning that is hurting and say, hey, I just, I just want to sit and listen to you for a little while. I'm just going to come over to your house. I know I know your, your mom just died. I just want to come over to your house and I just want to sit with you. And if you feel like talking, then we can talk. But I'm just going to be there for you. And we get that emotional support. A lot of times that leads into another type of support, another type of uh, way that we demonstrate God's love in a practical way, which is simply praying for people. And I don't mean telling someone, hey, I'll pray for you. But I mean we stop and we say, let's pray about this together. Let me pray with you. Let me pray with you about this. And then in a very real way, we get to to demonstrate God's love for others by serving them. Sometimes that means bringing meals. And I can tell you, when Amanda and I first had the triplets, we were part of a church that I I think for like three months, we didn't have to cook breakfast, lunch, or dinner. We had people from the church that were bringing us meals. And, And I can tell you that that was, in my life, that was one of the biggest moments when I really felt God's love because not only were God's people loving me, but I could see God's provision in that. He was providing for us so that we could get every ounce of sleep that we possibly could. 
God gives us these practical ways to demonstrate his love. And if you follow this section that John is, um, where this, these verses fall into, kind of what you see is that John's thinking is this, that God is love, right? And we know God, therefore we are called to love like God. We're called to love like God. And, and let's think back just a little bit about God's love, right? We said that it's proven through his action, that he took action. He didn't just say, I love you. He took action to prove his love. His love is pure. He doesn't expect anything before he loves us, and he doesn't expect anything in return for his love. His love is providing. It meets a very real need in our lives. And his love is practical, right? So let's think about that for us. What does that look like for us to have that kind of love for one another? How do we love each other unconditionally? How do we how do we through our actions prove one another, or prove our love for one another? And how do we provide for one another? What is it that God has called us to do? We've seen some of those examples together, and I want to challenge us in one more area. Because I think, you know, Jesus says, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. And I think that is a great thing for us to love the other believers, to love the other people in our community group, to love the people at our church. But I also think that we can extend this a little bit further and we can extend it out into the community. The people that God has placed around us, our neighbors, that just the same way we would grab someone from our community group and say, man, you shared this prayer request and I just want to get together with you and have coffee and listen to you this week. That when our neighbor shares that he's having a difficult time at work and he doesn't know if if he's going to stay there or not, that we would say, you know what, let's, let's just grab coffee or why don't you come over to my house for dinner tonight? I know your, your wife's pregnant and, and you're working late. Why don't you guys just join us for dinner tonight? Just come on over. Let me serve you in that way. Going over and, and just saying, man, you guys told us last week what's going on in your life. We just want you to know you're pr- we're praying for you. Do you mind if we pray with you right now? That we would meet some of these needs. That we would demonstrate the unconditional love of God that as we look at the people in our community around us that we wouldn't we wouldn't pass judgment on them and say oh you know what they kind of have some rough language so when they get that language cleaned up then I'll go talk to them when they cover up those tattoos then maybe I can go over and and engage them no we we approach them wow you know that person is really broken and hurting she's struggling with some of her relationships and if she would just get her act together, I bet we could be good friends. No, we love them unconditionally and we enter into their world the same way that Christ entered into our world when we were still broken sinners. And we love them, we prove it through our actions and then we we help provide for their needs. One of the ways that we do this is uh, on that back table you'll see Give a family Christmas. We have a very real opportunity to prove not just our love for, God, for the people that God has created, but to actually demonstrate God's love for the community around us. Simply by, we've taken on two families, total of 11 people, that we're, we're trying to overwhelm them with, these are just material gifts, but in reality what we're doing is, is we want them to see how much God is providing for them, how God's people love them unconditionally. There's no way they'll ever be able to pay us back. More than likely, they'll never show up at River Rock Bible Church. They have nothing to offer us. We're not expecting anything back. We have an opportunity to demonstrate love for them, a love that is pure.
we have an opportunity to prove that God loves them by meeting some very real needs in a very practical way. As we finish this morning, I, I hope that you'll just take some time to reflect on the love that God has demonstrated for us. Isn't it a beautiful gift that he has given us to unwrap and to try to understand? There's no way I could fully describe and illustrate and explain God's love in, in one simple message. But I think when we remember that God has proven his love for us by taking action, we think about how pure it is that he loves us unconditionally. We think about how much he's provided for us, not just eternal life, but an abundant, full life, and how that provision extends into the very real and practical application where we get to feel God's love by engaging with one another. As we think about those things, I just want you to pray and spend some time thinking about what God might be calling you to do in response to his love. Right? We, we know that he doesn't require anything from us, but if you're anything like I am, um, I know my wife loves me. And, and when I see and I experience and I feel her love, I can't help but want to demonstrate that love back to her and find a way to show her that I love you too. And so maybe you're here this morning and you feel like you just want to find a way to demonstrate your grace and your thankfulness for the love of God. And express your love back to God. Not that he requires it, but out of your love for him, you just want to express that. Maybe there's someone that God is calling you to minister to as an expression of his love. Maybe God is calling you to to call up someone from your community group and invite them to coffee. Sit down and say, man, I just, I want to be here for you. Or there's a neighbor. Whatever it is that God is calling you to do, to either experience or to express his love, I'd invite you to take the next two minutes and and write something down that God is calling you to do and then what you're going to do about it this week. Let's take two.